Amen. Wow. I, I don't want to. I don't want to move from that. Acts twenty-eight tonight. Acts twenty-eight. Next week, we start a new series on Wednesday night in First and Second Thessalonians. Living in light of the Lord's return. And I'm excited to study it with you and share these great letters of Paul with you beginning next week. Acts 28. I want to break it down this way. In the first six verses, if there's a word that would summarize these six verses, it would be protection. Protection. In fact, we saw last week at the end of chapter 27, the ship that Paul was on crashed into the, into the land and all the souls on board were saved, but the ship was lost. They had gone through a terrible storm, a hurricane-like storm. And yet notice in chapter 28, verse 1, the first words. After we, because Luke was part of this, the one who wrote this book, he was there. After we had safely reached shore, we learned that the island was called Malta. Obviously, that island still exists and still under that same name. By the way, the name Malta means refuge. Refuge. I want to direct your attention to the words safely reached. It's what I talked about at the beginning of our service tonight, how God sees us all the way through. The word safely reached to mean to save thoroughly, to save completely, to save all the way through. And I want you to keep your finger there in Acts 28, and I want you to go over to the book of Hebrews with me for just a moment to a great verse, Hebrews chapter 7, and verse 25, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Notice the author of Hebrews, speaking of Jesus, says, so he is able, that's important, to know our God is able. Able to what in this context? To save completely to save through everything, through all time, those who come to God through him. That's important. That's the only way you come to God, is through him. And so the author of Hebrews is reminding his readers, I'm talking to those of you who have access into the Father's presence only through the sacrifice and blood of Jesus Christ, his son. If you do, then you can be assured he will save you completely. God doesn't do anything halfway. We can be assured of that. And then he goes on to tell us how he does this. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Now, most of the time when we look at the word intercede or intercession, we're thinking of prayer. And I'm not saying Jesus doesn't pray for us. He does, okay? 
He does. But this word intercession has as much to mean intervention than it does intercession. It is the idea that Jesus is always alive to intervene on our behalf, to be involved in our lives. And oh, by the way, this word speaks of his involvement in our lives, his intervention in our lives, and yes, his intercession in our lives is all out of his great interest for us. And that's why we can trust him to save us completely because he always keeps his eye on us. We are the apple of his eye. He is highly interested in us like we couldn't even imagine. Therefore, he's interested in everything that we go through, every detail of our lives, and he is involved in it. He intervenes in it and intercedes for it. And that's exactly what he had done with Paul. Back to Acts 28. So just as Paul safely reached shore, you can be assured my brother or sister in Christ, that you will safely reach shore as well. You will reach your destination, both here on earth that God wants you to be at and the heavenly shore one day, as Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.18. Now when they got there, the local inhabitants showed us extraordinary kindness, not just kindness. Luke was blown away by the kindness of the locals on the island of Malta. By the way, the Greek word here is philanthropia. It's where we get our word, you know what I'm trying to say. Thank you. Philanthropy, yes. It means to be warm, to be welcoming, to be hospitable, to be friendly. You know, this is an instance where, and this is gonna tie into the provision we're gonna see in just a moment in the next part of the passage, but. Sometimes kindness and hospitality and friendliness comes from unexpected places. I'm sure that when Paul and all 276 souls on board crashed on the island of Malta, they probably weren't expecting such a reception from these local people. But God had them right at the right place to be able to receive some things from the people on the island of Malta. Now, as they were building a fire because they were in need of getting warm, they welcomed us all. It started to rain and it was cold. So Paul was one of those who gathered a bundle of brushwood and was putting it on the fire and a poisonous snake that could deliver deadly venom came out of the fire and literally fastened itself onto Paul's hand. It was a hostile bite sinking his fangs into Paul's hand. And you can just picture it. There's Paul's hand and there's the viper just sort of hanging on it. Now, I don't know how you might think through things. This is how I think through things. Really, God? (laughs) This guy hasn't been through enough? He's been persecuted, he's been stoned, he's been left for dead, he's been threatened with his life. He's had to stand before three 
officials, two Roman officials, one Jewish official. He gets on a boat to finally go to Rome as a prisoner. Oh, and by the way, they have to go through this horrific storm. And finally, they're shipwrecked on this island. And now you're going to allow a snake to come out and bite him? But again, God has a purpose in it. And the purpose wasn't to harm Paul, as we're going to see. God supernaturally protects him. God allowed this to happen so that Paul, as we've seen throughout the book of Acts, could be a witness to these local people on the island about his God, you see. Because they had a bad theology and their thinking and their theology needed to be changed. And God was going to use this experience to begin to reach into their minds and their hearts and begin to change their opinion about some things. Because it needed to be changed. So notice, when the local... Oh, by the way, I, I don't think it's just circumstantial that it was a snake. I think you can sort of tie that imagery all the way back to the book of Genesis and, and how even you can see the enemy trying to always derail things and, and cause things to be upset as the church and as the people of God move forward. And you and I can find that same truth here at the Oasis. If we continue to move forward, the enemy is going to also be equally active and he's going to try to bite some of us, if you will, figuratively speaking. When the local people saw the creature hanging from Paul's hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Although he has escaped from the sea, justice herself has not allowed him to live. Their theology was that bad things happen to bad people. And like Job's friends, who thought that trouble or misery was always judgment. One of the problems with that theology is obviously that doesn't line up with the revelation of God, but two, it's very man-centered. That's the problem with it. It's all about man. Somehow God is not in control, sovereign, and behind the things that happen. It's that the things happen because of us all the time. If we're bad, bad things happen. Good, good things happen. There's, there's never anything more than that. There's never, never any higher purposes. It's all about man. And you see this even today, where in many even circles and places on earth and, and even churches and ministries, their theology and the way they think and the way they operate is very man-centered. It never goes higher than man. That needs to be corrected. That is not a proper biblical theology. Notice this, verse 5. However, Paul shook it off. That's what you and I need to do when the enemy tries to bite us. Is we need to shake it off. Whatever the enemy is using, literally and figuratively, to get under our skin 
and distract us and discourage us and, and to drive us off course or, or just to consume us with something other than what God has called us to or what we're supposed to be focused on. We need to shake it off and keep on going. Because notice, God protected Paul just as he did on the ship. God protected Paul from the venomous bite of this serpent. So that it says, he suffered no harm. Now, they were expecting that he was going to swell up or suddenly drop dead, which is normally what would have happened. But after they had waited a long time, and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. He goes from murderer to a god. Do you see? When someone is not grounded in the truth of God, how fickle and how much they can fluctuate and their pendulum can swing all the way from one side to the other. That's why God calls his people. You and I must ground ourselves in Jesus Christ and ground ourselves in the truth. Otherwise, as Paul said, we will be carried away by every wind that comes along. And there will be no stability spiritually and no settledness in our life. And because and, this is the way of the world. In every situation, you see it from, you know, society and, and government and everything. It's like we're going to swing the pendulum way too far this side. Then the reaction of human beings is, okay, to compensate, we're going to swing it way back over here to this side. There, there's never this balance. There's never this middle ground. It's always overreact this way, and then I'm going to react or respond to that by overreacting this way. That's exactly what people who are not grounded with God do. First he's a murderer, now he's a god. And God used this situation to begin to, again, get into their hearts and minds that, well, maybe they don't have it right. So again, like we've said, the bite from the viper wasn't necessarily about Paul as much as it was God was going to use his servant, Paul, to be an example to the people on this island because God wanted them to know him too. Remember, the Holy Spirit was to come upon his people and they were to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, Malta. And these people, God loved them just as much as he did anyone else on earth. And so he wanted them to come to know him as well and was going to use Paul and his little band of believers that had survived the shipwreck to be a witness and to testify about him. So the first six verses, though, I see protection there. Not only protection from the sea and the storm and the shipwreck, but protection from the viper. Then we come to verse 7. And from verse 7 through verse 10, I'm going to use the word provision, provision. Because again, just like we've already seen the extraordinary kindness that was shown to Paul and to all the people that got off the boat that survived, how warm and welcoming they were. Notice here in verse seven, in the region 
around that place were fields belonging to the chief official of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably as guests for three days. This is clearly far more than one would have either expected or was even necessary. There was no expectation that this man was to entertain everybody that got off that ship the way that he did, but God had him strategically placed on that island to do just that. Notice then verse 8, more witnessing opportunities. The father of this man lay sick in bed, suffering from a fever and dysentery, and Paul went in to see him, and after praying, placed his hands on him and healed him. A couple of things. These verses remind us that ministry opportunities are everywhere and all around us. We just have to be sensitive to them. Wherever there's people, there's ministry opportunities. There's always going to be opportunities for ministry everywhere you and I go. Now, I'm not saying God wants us to be involved in everything, but God does want us to be sensitive to every situation we're in, to every group of people we're in, and at least to ask him, Lord, is there something you want me to do or say in this moment? Because you've called me to be a witness. Something else we need to talk about is that you'll notice in verse 8, when Paul went in, he prayed. Why was he praying? Because he was receiving direction from God about whether he was going to heal this man or not. That's important. See, yes, Paul had the gift of being able to heal, but he didn't heal everybody that was around him who was sick. In fact, at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4, it tells us that Paul left a man, Trophimus, sick. He didn't heal him. And we know that Paul couldn't even heal himself because he asked God three times to take this thorn in his flesh away. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient. So Paul had the gift every once in a while of being able to heal, but he would always ask the Lord for direction. God, is this somebody you want me to lay hands on and physically bring healing to them? Everybody didn't have that, you see. And you and I need to do the same no matter what gifts we have, no matter, again, what opportunities we have. We better make sure directly from God through the Holy Spirit what he wants us to do in each and every situation. Because he may not want us to do this or that or to say this or that. We need to make sure that's coming from the Lord. And that's why Paul prayed before he healed this man. We know Jesus when he was here. Obviously, Jesus has the ability to heal anybody anytime he wants to. Jesus didn't heal everybody on earth when he was here. He strategically healed those that he was being directed to heal by the Holy Spirit as he followed him. So, after this had happened, many then people, obviously on the island who were sick, also came and were healed. This reminds us that one opportunity or open door that we do take can lead to many others. You and I get involved in one situation or one life, that can open up the door to something else or someone else. 
That's exactly what was happening here. And that's why we need to make sure, though, that it is God who's leading us to do this or that with this one or that one. Because sometimes God is very strategic and surgical in how he places us and how he inserts us in people's lives and in situations in order that maybe this relationship or this situation isn't even so much about this one, but about the next one, you see. And I do want to point this out. The word healed here at the end of verse 9 does not necessarily mean that they were all physically healed from their infirmities or their illnesses because this is not the Greek word that is used for physical healing. This is a Greek word you'll be very familiar with as well as far as its English equivalent, therapeuo, where we get our word therapy from. And this word just simply means to be ministered to and cared for. And in that way, you and I can bring healing to people as well. We might not be able to physically remove their illness or their sickness, but we can be a, a healer to them in a sense being a therapist to them. We can minister to them in some way. We can care for them in their illness or in their sickness. And God looks at that as bringing healing to someone as well. I think too often as Christians, we discount that. Somehow, if, if I can't, you know, or if this person isn't healed in the way we think healing comes about, that there's no healing going on. That's simply not true. Sometimes I have been healed simply by conversing with somebody. Because I, I needed healing in, in a sense. And, and I needed, I needed to, to get truth and, and I needed to be refreshed in my mind and, and I needed words and, and God was healing me in, in that way, you see. So don't limit healing to simply the total removal of an illness or a sickness or an infirmity. Sometimes it's just coming alongside someone and ministering to them in the way you and I can and caring for them. Verse 10, they also bestowed many honors, expressing their appreciation, admiration, and adoration. And when we were preparing to sail, they gave us all the supplies we needed, provision. God was providing for the needs of Paul and others through the people on this island. Protection, provision. God will always provide for his people what we truly need. My God will supply all your need according to Christ Jesus and his riches and glory, Philippians 4.19. Then we move to the next passage. 11 through 16, and I'm just going to summarize these verses as promise. Why? Because God was faithful and true to his promise, and the, this passage is all about they finally get to Rome. After three months, they kept moving towards Rome, and finally, they were getting closer and closer, and verse 14 tells us they, there they found some brothers as they got closer to Rome and they were invited to stay with them seven days. Can you imagine? 
a seven-day Bible study with the Apostle Paul. And by the way, the word found means that they were seeking out fellow believers everywhere they went. Again, that shows the heart of these early Christians. They wanted to be around brothers and sisters in Christ all the time. They were continuously seeking fellowship with their brothers and sisters in Christ. And then I love this. And in this way, we came to Rome. What way? Having been refreshed and encouraged by their brothers and sisters. In other words, God felt it very important that his little band of servants not come into Rome like this, you know, on their, he wanted them to come in Rome ready. And you you get that feeling even in the first chapter of the book of Romans, when Paul says in Romans 1.15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Paul had been studied up, prayed up, wound up, ready to go. And part of that was that God was providing again ministry and refreshment and encouragement through these brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's how they entered Rome. Notice this also. The brothers from there, Rome, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. That means nothing to us if you don't know Italy. But that means that these brothers and sisters traveled 40 miles on foot from Rome to be a welcoming committee to Paul and his companions. 40 mile walk just to greet these people who were their fellow believers. That says something about the heart that these fellow believers had for each other at this point. And when he, Paul, saw them, he thanked God and took courage. He received encouragement. He didn't know what he was going to face in Rome, but the fact that this little band of believers was willing to make all of that effort and take all of that time to come out and be this positive welcoming committee to him and his little band, that meant so much to Paul, you see. And God used them greatly to encourage him as he entered into Rome. And then finally, verse 16, when we entered Rome. Notice, not if we entered Rome, when. Because God said, you're going to Rome, Paul. And so verses 11 through 16 remind us not only of God's protection in the first part of the chapter, God's provision and what the passage we just looked at, but God's promises are trustworthy, reliable, and dependable. When God tells us he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And we can trust him. So Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier who was guarding him. Then... The next passage of this chapter, passion. I see the passion of Paul. Notice he was only there three days. Probably didn't even have time to get himself settled. And yet, what was his heart about? I'm calling all the Jewish leaders together. Why does he want to get the Jewish leaders together? Because Paul had a burden for his fellow Israelites. 
Remember in Romans, he says, if it was possible, I would be accursed from Christ if it meant their salvation. That's how burdened Paul was that the, his own people would come to know Jesus as their Messiah. So he tells them about all that has happened to him. And then I want to bring you down to verse 20. He says, so for this reason, I've asked to see you and speak with you, for I am bound with this chain because of the hope of Israel. And what is the hope of Israel? The hope of Israel is not an abstract idea. It's a concrete person. The hope of Israel is the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul says, Christ Jesus is our hope. Never forget that. Hope isn't some abstract idea. Hope for us is a person. And Paul was passionate. And Paul was willing to sacrifice anything. Paul, in a sense, says, look, the reason I'm chained is because of my hope. I'm willing to go through any sacrifice. Boy, what great songs of worship we sang tonight. And I couldn't help but think about even why the Holy Spirit led Nicole to choose those particular songs because, man, you want to talk about taking our lives and just saying, God, it's all yours. I mean, that, that's what Paul is saying. God, I, I'm willing to go through anything because I have that hope and, and, and there's no sacrifice too great. There's no chains that can be put on me that's going to discourage me because I have that hope and no one or nothing can take that hope away from me because he is a person and he lives inside of me through his Holy Spirit and no one will ever take Jesus away. God wants us to get there as well. Notice they say in verse 22, well, we'd like to hear from you what you think for regarding this sect, this this new group. We know that people everywhere are speaking against it. And so he set a day with them that they could come and, and there were even greater numbers coming from morning till even, evening and he explained things to them, testifying about the kingdom of God and then notice at the end of verse 23, trying to convince them about Jesus from the Old Testament scriptures. By the way, the words trying to convince them mean to passionately testify. Telling people about Jesus was Paul's passion of his life. It should be our passion as well, to live for Jesus and to tell other people about Jesus. But just like it always is, there was a mixed response. Some were convinced, verse 24, about what he said, but others refused to believe. So as he began to leave, verse 25, unable to agree among themselves, Paul made one last statement. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah. Notice that's significant. That tells us Paul believes in the inspiration of Scripture, that what Jeremiah said was God's word. The Holy Spirit was literally speaking through the prophet Jeremiah or through Isaiah. That's the way the whole Bible was put together. And so Paul quotes this passage out of Isaiah. <laughs> And he says in verse 27, the heart of this people has become dull, calloused, insensitive. They're not willing to respond to the word of God when they hear it so that they will not see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn so that God can spiritually heal them. Therefore, he says, be advised, verse 28, that this salvation from God has now been sent or moved to the Gentiles. 
because they will listen. They will respond. Notice, that's the way God is. God will come to a person or a group of people and he will reach out to them. But if they refuse, then God will move on to those who will. And, and can I tell you one of the prayers that I pray for us as a church always is that we will continually respond to what God is doing. Because if you and I stop responding to the moving of God, God will move his operation somewhere else to a group of people who will. I want to then characterize this last section of this chapter, the last chapter of Acts, with this final word that starts with P, perseverance. Because that's what you see Paul do. We've seen protection and provision and promise and passion. But no matter what response Paul got, no matter whether he was a free man or he was a prisoner or whatever, Paul just kept persevering in the calling of God upon his life. He just kept doing what God asked him to do within the parameters that God had placed him in. That wherever God placed him, wherever Paul found himself in, whatever situation it was, Paul just was always Paul. He, he was always doing what Paul would always be doing. And what was that? Verse 30 and 31. Paul lived there two whole years in his own running quarters, welcomed all who came, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with complete boldness or fearlessness and without restriction without hindrance, without impediments, without restraint. God gave Paul the favor to be able to teach the word of God and hold nothing back. And Paul just kept persevering. And that's what you and I need to do. Regardless of the situation we're in or where we're at or what we're going through, what season of life we're in, that we just keep on keeping on and keep focused on the calling that God has on our life. And again, we know that in this season of life, instead of Paul being this great missionary that put many miles underneath his feet and traveled all over the known world, now Paul was basically confined to one place. But in that one place, Paul was still fruitful because it was during that time that Paul wrote most of the New Testament. His ministry maybe looked a little different in its focus, but he was still preaching and teaching the word of God. It was just now God was bringing people to him rather than him having to go to them. And again, let's remember, God was very strategic about that because where was Paul? Rome. When those people left Rome, they went all over the world. And anything that, that you know, found its root in Rome was going to be heard about all over the known world because the Roman Empire ruled the world at that time. So it shows how very strategic God is. So in this last chapter of Acts, I hope that all of us will be encouraged as we've seen Paul finally come to Rome. It is a reminder to us that God is faithful to his promises, that he will see us through to all of our destinations that he has for us on earth and then one day to glory. And we just simply need to keep focused on what God has called us to do 
because we can trust God's protection. We can trust God's provision. And therefore, you and I, what do we bring to the table? We should bring passion and perseverance. Those are the qualities that God is looking for in his servants. God, we pray tonight that, Lord, you would just inspire us and instill in us, Lord, a a renewed commitment to just keep on keeping on. Lord, we're always going to face challenges and obstacles and opposition. There's going to be figurative snake bites along the way where the enemy's going to try to latch on to us and, and cause us harm or to cause us to become distracted or, or whatever, discouraged. And Lord, we just need to keep shaking it off and keep moving forward doing the will of God. And so, Lord, I pray that all of us here at the Oasis would always have a heart that, Lord, desires to respond to your spirit, to your moving, to your working in our midst. Because, Lord, you have shown us through your word and throughout history that if you come across a a person or a group of people that are not willing to be moved and that you've given us ample time to be moved, then you will move on to something else or someone else. So God, may we continue to respond to you as you reveal more of yourself to us. Go with us, Lord, this week. Give us a good week, Lord, as we move now into another month starting tomorrow. And Lord, we leave now January behind us and we look forward with great expectation and anticipation to the month of February, God. Because we know that, Lord, great things are happening all around us. And, Lord, we pray that, that you would allow us to be a part of the great moving and working, God, that you're doing right now in our midst. Use us, Lord, for your glory and honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. Hope to see you all back next week.